maybe we should dwell here just a minute. There's a comfort mm-hmm. in that slavery. It, it was it was secure. It was I knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. It was there's a comfort. There's a comfort in your sin. Yeah. And so you will find yourself going back to it because somehow it makes you feel some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you get used to that feeling. You want to run back to it because you miss that. This study references the book Nehemiah, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity by Mike Hilson. Get your own copy of the book today on Amazon. Well, hey, y'all. Welcome back to our study on the book of Nehemiah. And we've got a resource here we, we want to uh, recommend to you that we've created. It's Nehemiah, I Am, Taking Authority Over Identity. Now, up to this point in our study, what we've been dealing with is, is redefining yourself, not by the labels you have for yourself or the labels the world has put on you or someone else has put on you, but redefining yourself based on how God sees you and what God would do in and through you. So we've talked a lot about uh, knowing you know, where you've come from and, and the uh, labels that end up on you generationally or because of who you are, because of the job you have. We've talked about Nehemiah being a slave, being a part of a defeated people, uh, being under a king. His job is to be the one that dies if somebody tries to poison the king. Instead of the king dying, Nehemiah would die, so he's obviously expendable. There's all kinds of issues around his identity. And, and we we talked about how God begins to shift that as Nehemiah begins to realize he might actually be the solution to a problem. And so he goes in, he applies himself. We talk about all these things about identity. And literally in the last session, we talked about when that identity is in danger or it's threatened and how those threats are not so much external as they are how we receive them internally. At this point and at that juncture, I want us to, I want us to shift gears a little bit. I want us to move from becoming the identity God wants us to be to remaining the person God has defined us as and, and defending who that person is. I, I Watch, let me show you something. Chapter 7, Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 1, it says this, After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place. Once that wall of identity is back in place, Jerusalem now is again a defended city. It's a defined city. It has its own label. It once again is the centerpiece of Jewish life. There is now the temple that was that was there before because Zerubbabel has rebuilt it. And so there's the temple, but now there's wall around it. Now it's defended. Now Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and all the others can't just invade whenever they want to and take things from the Jewish people. They now, they now have a, a renewed identity. But once you have that, Here's what I want you to understand. The story is not over. The story is just beginning. So now what you must do is you must you must shift and you must decide how you will exist inside this new identity for a long time because you're going to live here for the rest of your life. There's this old story of an intersection, and I don't know if it existed or not, but I love the story, back in covered wagon days. And it seems that when all the covered wagons would go a certain direction, they would create ruts in the in the road, and, and you would ride in the ruts, and that way your wheels on the covered wagon would be able to roll, and they'd make it through even if the road was wet. Well, 
you know, there's the story of, a, of an intersection that went two or three different ways. And somebody put a sign at the intersection and the sign said, choose your rut carefully for you will be in it for a long time. Because you can imagine with with steel with wood and steel wheels, it's not easy to get a wagon out of a rut. So once you're in it, you're going to be in it until the rut runs out. Not until you decide to turn out of it because you can't pull your wagon out of it. It's not like you got a wench on this thing. We're talking horse and buggy days. And so, so in the same way, once you set a tone, once you set an identity, once you set a direction in your life, especially if you're transitioning and you are now having a new identity in your life, once you set that identity, you will hold on to that for the rest of your life. You're going to be in it for a long time. So the rest of our book is going to be about how to live in, how to maintain, how to take care of myself in this new area, this new identity, this new I am that I now live in. It is true that God will shift us on and on. It will be ongoingly. We will find new identities. God will take us to a new level. All of that is true. But you must not go backward. And so the rest of what we're going to look at is how to live within the identity God has given you. So back to chapter 7, verse 1. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. And I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their post and some near their own houses. The place to begin, if we are going to live effectively in this new identity that we've got, is to defend our weak spots. And everybody listen to me. We all have weak places in our lives. We all have chinks in our armor, if you will. We all have places in our lives that we would easily fall back to an old identity or an old way of, uh, of thinking, an old pattern of living. What we must learn to do is to defend those spots. We must have the gatekeepers in place. We must make sure that the parts of us, like Hananiah, that are that are of integrity and fear God more than most people, those are the parts that we lean into. Look, can I be real honest? Inside of us, there are all kinds of different motivations and things going on. There are times when what is inside of you actually desires to go against what God would have you do, to go against the very identity you've received and you've worked to live in. There are times when you would go against that. There are parts of you, let me say this differently, that have less integrity and fear God less than other parts of you. You're going to have to learn to lean into those parts of your, of your personality, those parts of your past, those parts of your thinking that are most in line with who God is. Those parts of you that have the highest degree of integrity and the highest degree of fearing God, following God, respecting God. That's what we have to lean into. Listen, I'm going to be honest. There used to be this old uh, saying that inside of every person is a red dog and a white dog, and the white dog represents the right thing to do, and the red dog represents the wrong thing to do. You know, one looks like the devil, one looks like an angel. You get the picture, right? And the question is, which dog's going to win? And one old preacher said, this is not a tough question. And they said, what do you mean? Well, I know which dog's going to win. They, they said, well, which one? And he said, the one you feed. See, here's the thing. 
You've got to lean into those areas of your life that will defend you from what would try to invade. Because it's not like you're never going to get attacked again. You've just built a wall that gives you greater strength. It's not like it's not like Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem have gone away. They haven't gone away. There's just a wall between the Israelites and them now. So you've got to understand that what we've got to do is defend our weak spots. He moves on. He says, now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. Now let's think about this. Why? There were few people in it because it was not a great place to live. If you lived inside of Jerusalem and the walls were torn down, you were constantly getting raided from the outside. So a lot of people had left the city and gone out into the countryside in small little places that weren't worth raiding because that way, at least when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem showed up, they wouldn't stop at your village because there wasn't enough there for them to bother trying to steal it. If, if everybody's concentrated in Jerusalem, that's where the enemy is going to come to try to steal and take. So it emptied out. Listen, the less control and defense you have in your life, the less you'll end up having to control and defend. You're going to start seeing things fall off if you don't build your life. You're going to start finding that there's less and less and less to defend because, honestly, it's all in ruins. But when you put the walls back up, when you put the walls back, watch this. There were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return, and this is what I found written there. Now, you get another 70 verses here that we're not going to read that just go through a lot of names and a lot of family groups and go through all of this. And basically, he's naming everyone, every family, every group that started coming back after the exile, and then he began to move them back into the city. They needed to build houses for everyone. They had to do all of this. The entire city had to be rebuilt. And so as they do that, watch. you got to defend your weak spots, but you've also got to remember your past. As they do this, they're hearkening back to a list of uh, a genealogical list of the tribes of Israel. They're hearkening back to a list of tribes that got them into the mess that put them in exile. They were in exile because they had stopped following God. They were in exile because they had not defended the walls. They were in exile because they had not spiritually defended their lives. And when they didn't spiritually defend their lives and the life of their nation, God pulled his hand of blessing away, his hand of protection away, and they were overrun by the Babylonians. And so they ended up being in exile all of this time because of their own actions. You need to remember those things. Remember your past. Remember how you got to where you are. Remember who you are and who you now have become. Look, what you can't do is go back to who you were when you started. Okay, stop. You're able to do that. That's possible, but you need not to. You need not to do that. What you also can't do is forget where you started. Because if you forget where you came from, if you, if you forget where you started, you'll start to think you built all this and you'll start taking credit for what belongs to God. See, God is the one who lifted his hand of protection and they lost all of their defensive. They, they, they lost their nation. They lost their capital. They still loved Jerusalem, but it was in ruins. But now the same God is now putting his hand of blessing and protection back on them. And they have now the favor of a king that has allowed them to rebuild the city, even defensively rebuild the city. 
if you forget why you got here, if you forget who you are, if you forget where you came from, it will cause you to fall back into old patterns. I have to tell you, one of the most dangerous things you can do is forget how you, forget where you came from. Because if you do, you'll end up repeating what broke you in the first place. You can't repeat that. I mean, oh, let me, I keep saying you can't. You can, but why would you? Why would you want to? Why would you care to go back to a broken place? You know, the Israelites did that after Moses led them out of Israel. They kept saying to Moses over and over again, you get this phrase, were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? They often got together a group and said, we'll get, a, we'll get ourselves together, get rid of Moses, and we'll, we'll go back to Egypt. They often wanted to go back to their slavery because they thought their freedom was too hard. You're going to face that moment. You're going to face a moment where it seems like going back to your slavery is the easiest thing to do, and that's what you want to go do. You've got to fight that. You've got to defend the walls, and you've got to remember your past. You've got to remember how bad it actually was so that you won't go back there. And then finally, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their own towns, towns you've got to defend your weak spots you got to remember your past but let me give you one that you got to live watch you got to listen you got to choose to live in your blessing god gave you this blessing you 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 shouldn't you you shouldn't you shouldn't be ashamed of it you shouldn't in any way feel like maybe you didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. God, we, we, I love the answer when people ask how you're doing, and the answer becomes, well, better than I deserve. That's always a true answer. That's a true answer for me every day of my life and has been a true answer for me every day of my life. I mean, it's just true. We're all better off than we deserve. I know some people don't feel that way, and I get that. But we got to understand that in reality, what we deserved was hell. What God gave us was forgiveness and his presence and his strength, his, 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 his infilling so that we could live anew in a different way. That's what God gave us. We deserve to be rejected by him. Instead, we were received by him. And we can live in that blessing. Don't look. Years ago, somebody said this. I'm using all kinds of old preacher analogies today. But years ago, someone I heard someone say, you can take an old pig. And you can pull him up out of the mud. You can wash him up. You put bows on him. You put lipstick on that pig. But if you let the pig go, he's going to go right back to the mud. And he's going to end up filthy just like he was before. Before you can see the pig live a new life, you got to change the pig's heart. But once the pig's heart is changed, once my heart is changed, I have to be willing to defend the wall so I don't run back to the mud. I have to be willing. I have to be willing. I have to be willing to remember where I came from, remember how nasty that mud was. And then when I'm out of it and I'm living in a new place that lacks all of that filth, I need to live there with all the gusto, all all the joy, all the strength, all the blessing that God has given me. When we live inside of our blessing, That's where we're bringing glory to the God who gave us the blessing in the first place. 
All right, so Pastor Mike, this lesson is essentially kind of like a how-to on hold, holding on to your identity, pushing forward within the identity that you're called to. You gave us three major points. It was defend your weak spots, live, uh, remember your past, and live in your present. Right. Those are the right. three things. And there's, man, I feel like personally this has been repeated in my life over and over and over again, especially becoming a Christian. And I just want to jump in um, where you said that sometimes going back to your slavery is easier than pushing forward. Well, I, hopefully I communicated that better than that because it seems easier yeah. than pushing forward. It, it, can it be. never is. No, ultimately it's not, but it definitely yeah. seems that way. Yeah. It can feel that way. Absolutely. Um, well, there's a comfort. No, no, no. You, we need to, we need to, maybe we should, maybe we should dwell here just a minute. There's a comfort mm-hmm. in that slavery. It, it was, it was secure. It was, I knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. It was, there's a comfort. There's a comfort in your sin. Yeah. And so you will find yourself going back to it because somehow it makes you feel some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you get used to that feeling. You want to run back to it because you miss that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's totally true. Do you think that when we start to walk in our blessing and we start to realize that this is really happening, you know, this is a real thing, you look around, do you feel like imposter syndrome is part of how people get sabotaged. They start to think, like, is this really who I am? Like, the identity hasn't really caught up with the reality yet. Yeah, I remember years ago, uh, the church had already grown. We were, we, were, we were doing extremely well, but I was still insecure. And one of my mentors, my earliest mentors, was uh, a doctor, uh, Dr. Wood. And, and I remember I was at an event. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't remember what the event was, but a lot of leaders were there. And I had become friends with a lot of these people at this point. And Dr. Wood took me aside and he said, this is nice. And I said, what? He said, you've been here for a while, Mm -hmm. but you only now believe you belong here. Mm. Okay, that is a thing. That's a real thing in people's lives where they get forgiven and then blessings start coming their way. They start living differently and blessings start coming their way. And this imposter syndrome is a real thing. I mean, they begin to feel like, this isn't really who I am. I shouldn't, Mm -hmm. if anybody ever actually knew. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. And, yeah. and, and the truth is God already actually knows. Mm-hmm. And so, and he chose to bless you anyway. Yeah. So you, you got to live in that, mm-hmm. you know, you can't let, that's another lie that that's another label that the, mm-hmm. the imposter would be another label, another I am right. that, that the enemy would put on you that you've got to get away from. Yeah. It reminds me of walking by faith, that moment to moment kind of faith. I think it was Francis Schaeffer that said that we have to live our faith moment by moment. It's like a step by step, day by day. Every single time I'm feeling insecure or I feel like there's Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome creeping up or whatever else, it's really just applying faith. Like God said, this is what I'm supposed to do and then having to go back to it. But practically speaking, how do we do that? I mean, you said something about that analogy with the dog, you know, which dog's going to win and it's the one that you're going to feed. Right. What does feeding the dog look like? Well, what you've got to do is you've not got to get you, you've got to not give too much oxygen to those areas of your life that are lies. Okay, I, I, I can give you a, I can give you a fairly it's a fairly shallow example, but it's an example um, of of living in your blessings. So mm-hmm. uh, Tina and I built a house about five six years ago. And I love my house. It's not huge. It's not. It's none of that. It's it's, it's nice. I don't know. I don't. Wanna, I don't want to undersell. It's nice. It's a blessing. Okay, our house is a blessing. Uh, but we built it, and um, and I made a point of saying it must be built in a place where it's impossible for anybody to ever drive by, point from their car, and say that's Pastor Mike's house, mm-hmm. because I knew I was going to get judged no matter what I built. Right. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. 
it's one thing to know that, defending your walls, right? It's a second thing to feel guilty because I live in this house. It's a different thing to do that. And so I sometimes, I can sometimes say, I'm in this house, we got all these bedrooms and we got all these bathrooms, we got all this going on. You know, our house has five bedrooms in it. And, uh, and I'm like, it's just me and Tina. Okay, well, but but we're prepared for other people to stay with us and other people have. You know, we're prepared for all of that. But but right now it's just me and Tina in the house. Mm-hmm. I can feel guilty about that. I can I can allow those thoughts. When I start to feel guilty about that, I can't allow that thought to have much oxygen. Right. Because if I give that thought much oxygen, I'll start to mm-hmm. see my blessing as a curse. And I think in our spiritual lives, if we're not careful we'll begin to give oxygen to things that are lying to us. And internally, this will start to spin. Mm. And we'll get this, this, this unnatural, unrealistic, untrue vision of who we are. We think we're still holding this identity God gave us, right. but, but we've given too much oxygen to this other thing. Yeah. So I think, here, here, I'll give it to you the way you said it. I think I'm a pastor, right? I'm a mm-hmm. pastor. But my internal label is imposter. And if I give that imposter word too much oxygen, I'll still act like a pastor, but I'll act in insecure ways because I feel like I'm an imposter. And by acting in insecure ways, I'll hurt myself and other people. So you can't give oxygen to that. You can't feed that. Mm. So how do you feed it positively? No, you got to feed the other side. Right, the other side, the positive side, the side that is what God's... Oh, you got to celebrate you. everything God does on the pastor side. If, if mm-hmm. we're going to do pastor versus imposter, which is what I've done so far, okay. then then we got to celebrate everything God does over here. Because when you see God move, when you mm-hmm. see the blessing, when you understand the blessing mm-hmm. properly, let, let's get out of my house. Let's let's be a little more ethereal about this. Okay. When I understand the blessing properly, and I learn to reside in the blessing, walk in the blessing, Mm -hmm. and then God continues to bless that I'm feeding this positive side, right? Mm -hmm. Walking, it's it's far simpler than it seems and far harder than it should be, which is you just got to walk in it. It's it's Jesus when he's teaching about the grapes and the vine, the branches on the vine. The branches are attached to the vine. What does he say we have to do? Remain. Mm, Abide. Yeah. Abide. Remain. Just Stay connected. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the blessings coming through the vine into the production, the productivity I'm going to have is coming from the vine into who I am. And the more I just reside within mm-hmm. what's coming through me because God put it there, the more I see God bless and there's grapes and there's fruit from what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And when I begin to when I begin to focus on what God is doing through me, I'm feeding the positive side i'm feeding my 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 thankfulness my gratefulness for the blessing and i'm not feeding the label that i've chosen whether that label is imposter or whether that label is loser or whether that label is anything else no i'm a child of god yeah i'm grafted in this branch mm-hmm. and, and this all is, the all the life-giving force from this branch is flowing through me and this is an example also of defending your weak spots yes. all of all of what you just said Yes. Is, is literally the same thing. But there's daily actions, there right? Is. There's daily activities that we can do to fortify against attacks where we know we're weak. Right. Um, you said that Israel landed here, this exile, because mm-hmm. they didn't defend their weak spots. Right. Everything you just said, I think, is a parable of, of oh. their downfall, right? Oh, yeah. They, they, they started to see their blessing as a curse. 
Mm-hmm. They started to see the way the nations lived around them and started to partake in the other things. And then before long, they're, you know, committing idolatry and sin right. and everything else. How do you how do you do that part where you have a daily routine? Is there something daily that you can do to fortify yourself mm-hmm. and protect yourself from attack from the outside? Well, actually, in the in, in the in the lessons that are coming up in the in the sessions we're going to have ahead of this, there's a lot of that spelled out in there because uh, Nehemiah sets things into place that makes this happen. So I think I, I think that question is going to get answered as we go forward because honestly, the rest of this whole book is about Nehemiah looking at the people in Jerusalem and saying, this is now who you are, live in it.